When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're now joined by Mark Meckler, president of Convention of States. He was also the co-founder of Tea Party Patriots. Mark, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm really interested in hearing more about Convention of States, and we're going to talk about that in our next segment. But right now, I want you all to know a little bit more about Mark and about the problems that he believes America's facing today. Mark, you're, you're a man of deep faith, but you're, 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 you're way over into the political side of things. Right. Is that something that you just always were interested in, or did you feel a particular calling to go into politics? Well, I was always interested. I grew up in a family that was very interested in politics. My dad had me start reading the newspaper when I was probably 12 years old and mm-hmm. discussing politics, but I was not involved. I mean, I, I voted. That's, that's about the extent of my involvement until around 2009, 2010, and everything kind of shifted at that point. Okay. Um, well, how, how did you come to faith in Christ? I mean, did you grow up in a Christian household? No, not at all. I, I grew up in a secular Jewish household in Los Angeles. There was no God in the house. Mm-hmm. Judeo-Christian values were very strong, and so definitely Bible-based in our value set, but no faith whatsoever. And a lot of Jewish friends who went to temple, and they were not faith-based either. A lot of Christian friends. I, I went to, to church with some of them. But really, again, not much God in any of those households. So it took me a long time to come to faith. When we come to faith in Christ, we, we, we want to know, what does God want me to do now? Now that I'm, now that I'm on the team, uh, what, what play am I supposed to run? And not many Christians think about the, the public square and politics, because politics is kind of dirty. But you've really dove into this, this area, and you believe that, that the government in America is uh, assuming more and more power that doesn't belong to it. In what ways do you see the American government assuming too much power? Well, I think it's important to go back to the Bible always. And, and one of the fundamentals in our Christian faith is that God gave us free will, right? Mm-hmm. And I believe God gave us America as the place best suited to exercise that free will within God's law. And so what I look at is how does the government's law contradict God's law? And that's where we as Christians, in my opinion, have to get into the arena and fight is to to make our laws, our system consistent with God's law. And one of the things that I see happening every day is just our basic freedom to worship is being impinged by the federal government. We saw this in spades during the whole coronavirus stuff, all all the Wuhan virus, right? Can't go to church, can't get together to worship. It's fundamental that we gather for fellowship and worship. And when they said we couldn't do that, that's something I believe that the federal government should never be involved in, nor the state governments, frankly. What are some more areas where you see that the government is wrongly usurping power away from the people? Like um, you talk about the spending and debt crisis, regulatory crisis. What, What are those things? 
Well, right now, if you look at the federal government, we're over $30 trillion in debt. If you look at long-term liabilities, it's actually over $150 trillion in debt. $150 trillion? How do you come up with that number? Yeah, because if you look at all the stuff we're committed to that we're not spending this year, for example, Social Security and long-term welfare oh, benefits. Oh, okay. We're on the hook for all that money because yeah, people have donated to the system. It has to be spent no matter what. So that amount of money, to be perfectly honest, I don't even know what that means. I don't think anybody knows what that means except... It's immoral, and our children and our grandchildren and all of our progeny will be burdened with that. So that's an area where the federal government has overstepped and, frankly, morally overstepped. Talk about the attacks on individual states' rights. How, how, what, is, what does that mean? Well, the way our government was constituted initially uh, in the convention, 1787, was the states created the federal government, and they gave the federal government a limited amount of power, 17 enumerated powers initially. And unfortunately, over the last 115 years, the federal government through the courts have taken thousands of powers, pretty much infinite power over our daily lives. I want to pause right there and, and double-click on that statement. The states gave the federal government power? Isn't it the other way around? Doesn't the, the federal government give the states power? Like, like the White House tells the governor of Florida what to do and the governor of California what to do, not the other way around? That's the way the federal government likes it, but that's not the way the Constitution reads. The Constitution is actually an, a unique document in human history because it places limitations on federal power. It doesn't... Why would they do that? Why would, why would the states want to limit the power of the federal government when the federal government is the ones printing the money and they control the armies? They're the ones who can fix all our problems. Because they understood from their history that central governments become tyrannies and that the only way to prevent tyranny or limit tyranny is to disperse the power out to the people where the governments are closer to the people. That sounds like our founding fathers must have understood the sin nature of man, <laughs> which means they must have been reading the Bible and they understood that the only one who can have all power and all authority and use it wisely is God himself we will end up taking advantage of other people. And so they said, let's spread the power out, let's spread the authority out so that one guy can't turn into a Hitler. Yeah, you know, the founders understood this very deeply. They studied human nature. They all knew the Bible. They all understood the history of government. So they knew where we were headed and they tried to head us off. You talk about federal overreach in decision-making processes for individuals. What, what, what does that mean? Well, there's a bunch of different examples of this that are really easy. For example, just your basic property rights. I mean, you generally should have the right to do whatever you want with your own private property. That's a fundamental liberty. Pro property comes out of your work, your labor, right? So God gave you the ability to work. He wants us to work. And when you work, you produce income. That income is used to produce property. And now we have the federal government telling you and the state governments, how do you use your own property? It's hard to imagine the founders being told how to use their own property by the government. It gets down to the, the absurd. Literally, now the government tells us what kind of toilet we can put in our house. Can you imagine Ben Franklin and his outhouse? <laughs> the government comes along and tells him what kind of outhouse he can put in his yard. It was unimaginable to the founders that government would be involved in intimate aspects of our lives like that. I have to question, is the government really allowed, the federal government really allowed to tell me what I can, what I have to put into my body, um, how I raise my children, um, what I'm allowed to actually think and say out loud on social media, and if I say the wrong thing, I get canceled or banned? That, that's getting into areas that sound very scary to me. 
Yeah, I mean, basically what you're talking about is totalitarianism, and that is primarily the history of humankind. People think of uh, history swinging back and forth between liberty and tyranny. It's really tyranny to really bad tyranny. And we have an aberration here in the United States in modern history, and only we can preserve that. We're on the verge, in my opinion, of losing it. It's up to us to preserve it. What are some examples of the way, let's say, religious freedom is being taken away from us in America? Well, we talked about it earlier, and, and I think it's important to define when you talk about soft tyranny versus tyranny, right? Tyranny is the police come in, they bust down your door, they throw you in jail for what you think, and that's not our daily experience, right? So right. sometimes we don't react, but when they shut down your church and people just say, oh, okay, well, we'll just go home and we'll watch church on TV and my pastor will sit in his living room and, and video broadcast to us, that's soft tyranny because what you're being told is your right to express your faith, your right to worship with other people has been taken away. Well, maybe it's for my own good or maybe I don't even know. Everybody's doing this right now, so it's not a problem. That's an example of soft tyranny or the idea that, frankly, that we all have to wear masks. You know, you think, well, it's maybe it's for all of our own good. You go into the airport, you got to put on your mask. I don't wear the mask in the airport, but most people do, right? And so that's soft tyranny. It doesn't seem painful at the time that it happens, but they're slowly chipping away at your freedoms. Hey, when we come back, we're going to discuss convention of states. If you're not familiar with what that is, you need to be. Mark's going to talk with us about that, and we're going to learn more about how we can safeguard our religious freedoms. Stay tuned. Hey, we're back with Mark Meckler discussing Convention of States. So, Mark, uh, most of us have never heard of Convention of States. Uh, that's not an organization that you created. That's something in the Constitution of the United States, specifically in the fifth article of the U U.S. Constitution. Explain it to us. Yeah, so in the fifth article, it describes the ways that we have to amend the Constitution. The first way is when two-thirds of both houses of Congress decide to propose an amendment, it goes out to the states for ratification, three-quarters of the states. There's a second way that we've never used. All our amendments, 27, come from the first way. The second way is when two-thirds of the states decide to get together in convention, they pass resolutions in their state legislature, it takes 34 states, and they can gather in convention and propose amendments, just like Congress can at any time. And then those amendments go out for ratification by the same way. It takes three quarters of the states to ratify. So that's the process specified in the Constitution. Okay, that, that, that's, a lot, that's a lot of information. So first of all, why would we ever want to amend the Constitution? Is, 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 the Constitution is, is, is a great document. It's one of the most precious freedom documents that we have today. Why would we ever want to amend it? Well, unfortunately, especially over the last 115 years, the courts have essentially amended our Constitution hundreds of times. If you look at what they've done, there are thousands of pages of court cases that came out of the Supreme Court telling us what this beautiful little document means. And there are things in there that really don't make any sense. And the only way that we have to push back against that when the court does things that you or I or the majority of people don't believe in is to call a convention, propose amendments, and tell them, no, we're going to go back to something more like the original Constitution. So normally, the federal government has to come together and agree to make a change to the Constitution. Uh, to outlaw certain things, right. or uh, whether we're talking about slavery or, or other kinds of things, like the Bill of Rights, um, making sure that we have that freedom of speech, that freedom of, of religion. 
But the convention of states, it's kind of the last line of defense. Correct. If the government turns tyrannical, then they're going to make amendments that serve themselves and might injure the people, right? So, so talk about what happened that created that Article 5 Convention of States option. How did that come about? Yeah, I think this is really important. Two days before the end of convention in 1787, Colonel George Mason stands up. He's from Virginia, and he says, we've made a big mistake. We gave the power to Congress to propose amendments, but we didn't give it to the people acting through the states. And then he asked a question. He said, are we so naive that we believe that a federal government that becomes a tyranny would ever propose amendments to restrain its own tyranny? Now, I think they laughed, actually, because, of course, tyrants don't restrain themselves. That's never happened. We kind of know they did because we have Madison's notes, which say two Latin abbreviations, nincom, which means no comment. There's no debate about this. And in fact, then what they do is they unanimously adopt the second provision of Article 5 that allows us in the states to route around a tyrannical federal government and propose amendments to restrain federal tyranny. So essentially, the people within the states can say, uh-uh, uh-uh, the federal government uh, has turned into a monster, and so we are gonna get together as the people, and it takes a lot of us to do this because it's not easy to do. It's kind of the nuclear option. It's right. the last-ditch effort to restrain evil, and we're gonna get together and amend the Constitution specifically for the purpose of what? Restraining federal tyranny. Re holding back the beast right. of an out-of-control government. Okay, do you think that we're really there in our country where we need to bring on a convention of states to amend the Constitution to limit the power of the government? I think we're absolutely there, and I think the results speak for themselves when we look. You know, if you can go all the way back, I'm kind of an old guy, go all the way back to President Reagan. When he was elected, he promised to shrink the federal government, put Bill Bennett in charge of the Department of Education, promised to do away with the Department of Education, now, I love Ronald Reagan. He's definitely a conservative icon, but the federal government was bigger when he left office. The Department of Education was bigger when Bill Bennett left the Department of Education than when they started. The beast is too big to restrain from within Washington, D.C. It has to be done by the people outside. Some people might be watching this going, wow, you guys just got all political. Like, this is, <laughs> this is you know, your faith, guys. Yep. And if we get focused on politics, we're going to turn people away from Jesus. Are we out of our lane right now? by talking about political things and amending the Constitution? You know, I think we're right in the heart of our lane. Right after I became a Christian, and I came late in life, I was 51, I'm 60 now, I went to Israel, we did a tour of Israel, the Holy Land, and we did it from a political and a faith perspective. And what you realize when you look at what happened when Jesus Christ came to earth, when God sent his only son to be sacrificed on earth, it was very political time. And you had the entire world around the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus Christ came as the king, right? not a traditional king, a new kind of kingdom, but it was very political. The Israelites said, oh, you're gonna be our king, you're gonna restore Israel, well, not that kind of a king, but he created all sorts of political turmoil and he actually was, in addition to being our savior, a very political figure at the time. So I think this is right where we belong. God expects us to express our faith in every arena and I've not been able to find anything in scripture in nine years since I became a Christian saying, yeah, you shouldn't express your faith in the arena of politics. Our faith should be like leaven that leavens through the entire lump of bread, of dough, right? That we don't want to divorce our faith from the way we use money, from the way that we love our children and our, our, our friends. We don't want to divorce faith from the public square. It needs to be there. 
for it to have its heavenly influence. Um, yeah, and I would like to add, I think Satan wants us to stay out of politics because he's in politics. Right? Certainly evil men want good men to stay out of politics. Right. That's what they're counting on. Right, so if we don't bring our faith into politics, then what we say is, we'll, we'll leave that playing field, which has so much influence in human affairs, we'll leave that to Satan. So back to Convention of States. In order to call this meeting together of the people of the United States, you need two-thirds of all the states to agree to, to convene, to hold a convention. And then there's a very specific process laid out in the fifth article of the Constitution that says how many of the people in attendance need to agree to the amendment? Yeah, that's correct. And is it a lot? Like, is it easy to pass an amendment through this way? I think it's very hard to get to convention. That takes 34 states. Right now, we have 18 states that have agreed to go to convention. 18 of yeah. our states have already agreed yeah. to do so this. So three states literally just in the last month or so have agreed. That's the wow. last states were Wisconsin, Nebraska, and West Virginia. So you're not alone in thinking that this is serious enough to call a convention of states. Yeah, we're well on the way. And then it takes a majority of states in convention, so 26 states, to say to the rest of the states, hey, here's a suggestion. We'd like you guys to consider ratifying it. And then it takes 38 states or three quarters of states to actually ratify. It's not easy. Has this ever been done before? Has a convention of states ever been called in the history of our country? It has not. It is not. It's never been done before which is one of the reasons I think it's, it's so extraordinary to be doing it right now and to be living in this time when we need to and we have the opportunity to do this. If the Convention of States happens and it's successful, how will that help the family of faith safeguard our First Amendment rights? Yeah, I think the most important way is it'll get the federal government out of our business when it comes to the practice of our religion. You know, the states are generally speaking, not all, but generally speaking, much more friendly to faith. People are much more free to exercise their faith in the majority of states. And so it gets the government out of our way, generally speaking, not only in faith, but in all other areas. It also removes strife from the American body politic. And I think this is really important. One of the reasons we're so at each other's throats in America today is because we're different. New York is different than Texas, which is different than California. When we govern everybody from Washington, D.C., we force a one-size-fits-all on everybody. So we have to have those fights. They're important. If they're in all the states, we wouldn't be fighting that way. We're much closer to each other within a state than we are as a nation of states. I can hear some people saying, uh, but wait a second. If you amend the Constitution, you've just walked in. I mean, you've thrown open the door to the holy place. I mean, you can't change the heart and soul of America. And you could be opening a Pandora's box and now all of a sudden you could destroy the Constitution and unravel things in a way that you didn't intend. What do you say to that? Well, I would say one, the founders disagreed with that. Uh, so I think that's really important. They put this in there for a purpose. They understood. They were very smart men who understood human history and human nature very well. And they knew this time would come. And number two is you have to understand the process. And this is really important. There's a lot of protections along the way, but the ultimate protection is just simple math. It takes 38 states to ratify anything that comes out of convention. A convention can only suggest. So whatever comes out of convention requires a supermajority, the highest bar in our entire system of governance. And I always ask folks like us, people of faith, well, if you're concerned about this, tell me the proposed amendment and then give me the 38 states that you think would ratify it. And I've been offering that to millions of people over the years. And I've never received a single email telling me 
what 38 states would ratify something that they don't like. I hear the Second Amendment, for example, all the time. We're going to lose our, our right to keep and bear arms. Well, today there are 23 states that have what's called constitutional carry without a permit. How do you get to 38 states ratifying something to take away our Second Amendment rights? It just can't be done by the numbers. All the convention calls for that we're working to call is anything that would impose term limits on the federal government. About 85% of people believe in that. Anything that would impose financial restrictions like a balanced budget amendment, again, that's an 80, 85% issue. And then I think the most important thing, anything that would limit or reduce the scope and power of the federal government. So for you and I, that's things like telling them, no, you can't be involved in education. You can't be involved in healthcare. You can't be involved in the environment. These are things where the federal government was never meant to be involved, and we need to shrink it back down and put it in the constitutional box. So we're not really trying to change the Constitution so much as restore the original Constitution. I think that that's really important, that, uh, we're, that, that you're not trying to change the Constitution. You're trying to, to rein the government back in to line up with the original intent of the Constitution, which was never to uh, take the responsibility to educate our kids away from us as parents. Tell us how that we're going to run our health care. That's something that, that we do ourselves. And tell us how to run our businesses and our churches. That's something that God's given for us to handle as individuals and as families. Yeah, that's exactly correct. Yeah. So how can people get involved in Convention of States? You know, I think this is really important. You know, we talk about a lot of stuff in politics and in faith. And then the question is, what do we do, actually? Because talking is one thing, and, and it's good that we talk about it. What you do is people go to convention of states, they send a petition, they click on the link, send a petition to their state legislature. And how do they go there? Convention Conventionofstates.com, and they click on the link to sign the petition, and then more importantly, click on the Take Action tab. Volunteer to be involved, and our folks are involved in a lot more than this. They're fighting for their faith, their freedom of religion in state legislatures, right to life, right to keep and bear arms, if you get involved, you're going to be involved in a family of people, primarily believers all across this country in all 50 states. Wherever you are, we need you involved. Today, over 5.2 million people are involved. They're at conventionofstates.com. This is important. Uh, this is something that we need to, to learn more about. Um, Convention of States is, is already, uh, I believe, halfway there to getting three-quarters of the states in the union to agree to call a convention. This is real. This is happening. Mark, thanks so much for leading the charge on this and for helping to ensure that our freedom to worship God remains unfettered in America. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.